Welcome to the Sword and Trowel Podcast. We are a ministry of Founders Ministries, which is located in Cape Coral, Florida. And we're always glad to come to you via this medium. And thank you for listening. I'm Tom Askell, and I'm here with my good friend, Conrad Mbewe from Lusaka, Zambia. Welcome, Conrad. Thank you. Thanks, Tom, for having me. It's so good to have you here. You've been teaching in the Institute of Public Theology for the last week. How's how's the class gone for you? Pretty well. I I love the enthusiasm of uh, the students that are there. Uh, I think the first day when we began, they were not too sure where we're going. But by the second, third day, yeah, they're full of life, basically just drawing it out of me. Wonderful. Well, Conrad's been teaching a course on preaching through the Institute of Public Theology. If you want more interest information on that, just go to instituteofpublictheology.org. We also want to just thank our Founders Alliance members. They support us and help us to do this kind of thing so that we can put the content out there and make it available to you. So thank you, especially to those who are supporting us. Well, Conrad, man, uh, I can never remember the date of the first time we met. I've, I've gone through this on my mind, and I thought it was 1994, and I've talked myself out of that, but it was a long time ago. We met in South Africa. Yes. Uh, we yes. were speaking at a conference at together. A conference together, yes, yeah. in the mid-1990s. Yeah, somewhere in that time frame. And uh, anyway, the Lord just knit my heart to yours. I was grateful for all that I was learning about your work there. And you are the founding pastor, is that right, of Kabwata Baptist Church in Lusaka? Yes, yes. Yeah. We studied that work when I was a student at the university. A number of us going from Lusaka Baptist Church were doing that. And then I graduated, went to work in the mines, uh, the Zambian copper mines. And it was while I was there that the church then called me mm-hmm. to come and pastor them. When I were doing the initial door-to-door and inviting people, I had no idea <laughs> that I would spend the better part of my life there. <laughs> wow. Isn't that amazing? Were you, did you aspire to be a pastor when you went to work in the copper mines as an engineer? Yes, okay. yes. I sensed God's call within a year of my becoming a Christian, and right. I was already studying okay. uh, engineering. So I, I basically continued with that by the advice of everybody that was around me. But even as I was studying, my, my heart was leaning towards ministry, mm-hmm. and I kept praying, Lord, allow me to have just enough interest to at least pass this. <laughs> and so when I went to work in the mines, it was fairly evident that it was a matter of time. How about that? Wonderful. And, and when did you start? When did Kabwata formally organize? In terms of the first meeting and getting everything going, it was in May 1981. By January 1986, the church had been set aside now as an independent church. Mm. And then it was a year and a half later that they then called Wow. And And you've been there now for 35 years, right? Almost 35. Yes. I'm in my 35th year. Yeah. Congratulations. That's, (laughs) that's a wonderful, wonderful testimony. Well, one of the things that you've done since you've been there, you're a pastor, but you've done many other things. You've been a writer, a regular column, you've written books, uh, you've started colleges and institutions (laughs) to get the word out. And you also started African Christian university. Yes. How long ago was that? The idea was muted in um, about 2008, 2009, and then by 2010, we registered the institution as a, um, as a company limited by guarantee, 
and then began to work towards opening the doors for mm. students to come in. That is what took long. We only did that in 2016. Mm. So we've really been operational slightly more than five years. Five years. And, and Vodi Balkum went over to assist you with that, right? Yes. Vodi came and joined us in uh, 2015. He had been talking about it almost every year when he would come visiting Zambia. Uh, I just never took him seriously because... <laughs> You know, who would have thought that a guy, you know, with the reputation that Vodi has would cross over and, you know, come and be with us. But mm. he did finally uh, come in 2015 to help us set up the School of Divinity mm -hmm. because the African Christian University has agriculture, it has business, it has education. All these are schools and then it has the School of Divinity. Mm. So he came to help us establish that. Yeah, wonderful. Well, we're excited about that. Our church is delighted to be able to partner with you a little bit in yes. supporting that. Yes. We encourage, encourage other churches to do the same. So if somebody wanted to look into African Christian University and become a supporter, where would they go to find information? We do have a website. Uh, basically, it is SCU. Uh, for America here, it's SCU-USA. Mm. Dot com, okay. And that immediately gets them into the website that has all the, the information about the school itself, our um, method of instruction, our ethos of education, and also how they can partner with us financially. They can also put their details there for a regular newsletter, which would really like to encourage people to be uh, listening because as you are then eavesdropping on what's happening there, you are able to support meaningfully and in real time. Wonderful. Well, we'll put that contact information in the notes uh, to, with this episode as well. One of the things that I have been most fascinated with, we've also just tried to encourage you and support a little bit along the way, is the church planting efforts. Uh, I don't remember when it was that I first uh, talked to you about this, but there were just a few efforts underway. And to see what's happened over the decades in Churches planted not just in Zambia, but beyond Zambia to other nations as well. Uh, tell us a little bit about the church planting efforts, when you got started in that, and where your churches have been planted uh, since you got started. Yeah. Let me, uh, first of all, begin with where we are now. Okay. Okay. So we've planted roughly about 35 to 40 churches. Mm -hmm. The churches are scattered around Zambia in all the major uh, cities and towns and even one or two really rural villages. And then we also have in Namibia, in Botswana, in Zimbabwe, in Malawi, in um, Rwanda, in um, Nigeria, in Sierra Leone. So we've, we've literally gone throughout wow. Southern Africa, East Africa, wow. and across to, to West Africa. Um, then going back now to how we found ourselves, yes, yeah. <laughs> where we are now. Uh, to begin with, it, I would love to say that it was, you know, we read the Bible, got <laughs> convinced, and then did this. But it was a church that was threatening to close down because the the pastor had in a disillusioned way left the people were disoriented they didn't know what to do where they were going and so they began to invite us to preach to them 
and after we visited a few times, but it was me who went there a few times, um, it became evident to them that they needed help in terms of oversight mm. so that they have uh, ongoing direction. So that's how they asked us to help them. And when we took the matter to the church for uh, consideration and final vote, the, the membership really didn't want to go ahead. At that time, we didn't have our own church building. We were meeting in a rented community center. The only two of us were elders, myself and another uh, brother. Um, we were just getting off being helped by the Lusaka Baptist Church financially. So we were now able to look after ourselves, but the members still felt, you know, we were we still needed to be mm. a lot more established with our own facilities and everything. Mm. But my fellow elder and myself, we were convinced that there's now nowhere in the Bible where it says when you now have your own buildings and facilities <laughs> and 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 everything else, that's when you can participate in planting churches. We were now an independent church mm. and surely we could give birth to others. So to cut the long story short, at the end of that meeting, the members w- could see that we were not backing down. <laughs> Neither were they seeing what we were seeing. So one of them just said, look, you elders, it seems at this stage you are convinced we ought to go ahead. would like to follow your leadership. Hmm. So why don't you go and pray about it? Now that you've heard our misgivings, go and pray about it. Come and tell us next week what you want us to do and we'll follow you. Mm. And to a surprise, everybody <laughs> went, yes, yes. <laughs> so wow. as the f- service, we, we uh, dismissed everybody. We met with my fellow elder at the door. We looked at each other and said, so what are we going to really be praying about? <laughs> <laughs> because we know what the Bible says. Yeah. Go into all the world, make disciples of all nations. So... We just came back the following Sunday and said we're going ahead. And that's how we how we began. That? that was around about the year 1992, maybe 1993. Mm. So it was about five years after I became a pastor. Mm. And then, you know, from there, the Lord has has been leading us one step at a time. Mm. Yeah, Wonderful. So one of the things that happens here in the United States is we have many efforts to start churches, and uh, there's a pretty high percentage of those efforts that never make it to a church. It just doesn't work, or after two or three years, things disband. Have you seen similar uh, efforts that just didn't result in churches? Out of the 30-plus churches that I'm speaking about here, there was only one case that we really had, mm. and it was a situation of a guy who was a fraudster. Mm. And everything looked fine for a few years. Uh, but thankfully, one of his relatives was a member of our church who came tapping us on the shoulders and saying, what you are hearing in the reports is not what's happening on the ground. And so we sent the brother in our church who was our missions coordinator, and he came back and confirmed that, yeah, you know, everything had fallen uh, through on the ground. The guy was a moral wreck Mm. and and so forth. So with that, basically, the in fact, the the flock had already dispersed. They had run into other 
other congregations in the process. So, you know, it was a teaching curve for us, uh, mm-hmm. an important one at that, to be a lot more discerning, a lot more careful with respect to uh, individuals that we are bringing in. Mm. Beyond that, no, the Lord's been very gracious to us. Even churches where uh, we've had a moral failure on the part of a missionary, the churches have actually continued. Wonderful. And in due season, we've been able to get somebody else to go and take over the work. Mm. So the Lord's been very gracious to us in that respect. Wonderful. So with that one learning opportunity, what do you do in evaluating and assessing a man to consider whether or not uh, he would be fit for this type of ministry of planting a church? Yeah. One of the things that we have done, and it's been running now for easily 10 years or more, is to run an internship program, a pastoral internship program. Mm -hmm. And it's been a lifesaver. We've had less fallout since then. Mm -hmm. And it's because in the pastoral internship program, we spend time with these men. Uh, It's a minimum of an entire year. And a person can pretend for a few months Mm -hmm as he's mingling with, with others. But it's not long along that, those lines when one or two of the uh, companions begin to whisper to you that what looks like gold may actually not be gold. Or, you know, we're having these struggles mm-hmm. in our um, place of residence. And, you know, you, you try to sort out those issues. Soon you begin to see someone who is digging in their heels for ego purposes. It's not the Lord's glory and the Lord's honor. And so it's really been uh, a great help in that respect. But also, assuming the individuals are coming from another church, we want the commendation Mm -hmm. of the elders of that church so that we don't just have a one year with the person, but we have the years Mm -hmm. that the person has been Uh, living out their Christian life. Mm. The third is that those of us who are full-time as pastors are the ones who then recommend the person to the rest of the elders that we think there's something here we can uh, consider this individual. But then we allow the other elders to do a completely independent interview from us so that later on we compare notes. And we found that that's been very helpful mm. because those of us who are in ministry and we've been working with these guys for uh, for roughly a year, we have one perspective and it's largely uh, practical, uh, to some extent subjective and so on. Uh, the elders are almost giving the guy a written exam. <laughs> <laughs> They are working from the ground up. Right. They're asking doctrinal questions and mm. so on. Um and so often it's when there's a yes and a yes and we, we, we sense that we are really united as an eldership that we then you know set aside this individual. But also it's not just at the beginning. What we've done within our eldership is that we've divided out our missionaries among ourselves and then we maintain contact with these guys mm. fairly consistently. Um, and so, again, that tends to, to help uh, along the way so that we, we are able to um, nip 
the flower in the bud mm. before things uh, get out of hand. And so we, we are getting information from them, we are praying together, and so on over time. Mm. So I think that's that's also been a great help mm-hmm. in ensuring that um, we... It's not just that we are avoiding um, the, uh, the, the moral failures, but it's that we are working at optimum pace mm. to see these churches uh, develop. So uh, we, we, we help our missionaries to see that there are really three layers that they need to be functioning through. There is that of evangelism. That continues because even an established church, you still want to ensure that individuals are coming to Christ. But then once individuals begin coming in through repentance and faith in Christ, you add the second layer, and that's of discipleship, which must also be very deliberate. Mm. So it's not just waiting for the guys to come and hear you. You are giving them books to read. You are doing Bible studies with them and so on. And usually there are few enough for you not to feel like you are spreading yourself out too thin. And then as the disciples are growing, you are then looking at those men who are standing out head and shoulders above the others with um, uh, teaching gifts, with leadership gifts, and you again just sort of siphon them aside and begin to give them leadership training Mm -hmm. as well, and giving them some assignments within the life of the church. And all that is meant to be moving you or moving the church towards becoming um, an independent church. Mm -hmm. So we we work with them in that respect. So you would not send a man to plant a church who's not elder qualified. Is that accurate? Yes. Yes. You work through all those matters. Yes. We work work through that. And that's Mm. really the heart Mm. of what we are looking for as we are interviewing these individuals. Mm -hmm. That once we, we begin to see that, uh, at a personal level, there they are questions with respect to character. At a domestic level, uh, again, we, we can see that there, there is um, compromise, there, there is um, not necessarily failure, but there's, there's just confusion mm-hmm. in, in the domestic sphere. Again, you know, we get concerned about that. And then thirdly, in, in the context of uh, the church and society generally, is this a person that is drawing respect? Are there individuals whose hearts are in the work of ministry? Mm-hmm. So that even in the church context, you can see that the, the younger people, for instance, might even be gravitating towards them. You are picking up from them that this person has actually been of great help to them, yeah. and so forth. So there are a lot of those things that make us say, okay, as far as the human eye can see, um, let's go to the next level with this person. Yeah. So it, it's uh, a man proving himself in the context he's in, yes. as you observe that and maybe give him assignments and watch how he handles them. And uh, that gives you then insight as to whether or not you think he would be the kind of man that could go into a new place yeah. and help lead a church to get established. 
Yes, we we definitely are not just looking for any two-legged creature. <laughs> you know, as, <laughs> as enthusiastic as we might be about missions, mm. we we do realize that it's 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 a very dangerous place mm. to put a person without the grace of God evident on his life. Mm-hmm. You are basically setting him up for failure. Yeah. What about others that aren't going to be pastors? Do you ever try to uh, say, here's a core group that can go with this man and serve alongside him? Is that part of your, yes. your efforts? Within the city, the capital city, Lusaka itself, we've planted easily seven to ten churches. Mm. And it's been a lot easier because we're able to say, guys, those of you who live in that particular area, we now want to plant a church in that area. We we have we think we have the right man, mm-hmm. and so we'd like to appeal to you to be the nucleus that will uh, provide the beginnings of this church. Uh, but what we say to them is, when that church reaches a point where they are establishing the membership and you want to come back, by all means, you'll be free to do so. They never come back. (laughs) (laughs) But that's just to make them realize we're not kicking them uh, out of of the nest. With respect to other towns and cities uh, and countries, what has been to our advantage is that we are planting churches that have a very clear doctrinal position. Mm -hmm. They are reformed Baptist churches. And so individuals who are in that town get to hear that a church is starting here which is like either the church we visited or the church we've been listening to on radio or through the internet or the church that my brother and sister, that's the church they go to, Mm -hmm. something is beginning here. So it's not just a church. Right. It's it's fairly evident that it's a from Baptist church and it it's got an emphasis on biblical preaching and biblical practice. Mm-hmm. So that's what tends to in a short time bring quite a few people out of the woodworks mm-hmm. who are tired mm-hmm. of playing church. Mm-hmm. They they've been longing for something a lot more serious. And so although you're just meeting in a school classroom or uh, some other public forum, you don't have your own building yet, generally speaking, we end up with a few individuals who are not new converts. Mm -hmm. They already have a three-dimensional view of what a good church is. And often it is out of those guys that you end up having your initial leaders. Mm -hmm. So mm-hmm. that's that's really the way it happens. How, how have you determined where to plant a church? I can understand in your own city you see where your membership comes from, but what about in other countries? How have you decided when to plant and where to plant outside of Lusaka? Yes, uh, first of all, even within Lusaka, the the aspect of prayer is important. Uh, it's it's an issue of discerning God's will. So. It's not sort of looking at the map in a cold-blooded way and say, okay, we've planted here, planted here, planted here. A, a good square suggests that we plant there as well. I think it's, it's uh, we, we definitely think in terms of population centers. Mm-hmm. Um, that's part of what we think. We think in terms of the, 
if new residential areas are coming up and they are definitely very promising, we want to get in there quickly. And by the time more and more uh, homes are being built, you we already have our foot in the door. So with respect to the capital city, that's that's true. We also were fairly deliberate. I would almost say strategizing in terms of the provincial capitals. Because mm. it was really the beginning of the Reformed Baptist movement in our country. And so we said to ourselves, let's make sure that each of the provincial capitals, which would be probably the equivalent of state capitals here, that each of them would have a good, solid church. Mm. And then the idea was that from there, the those same churches would be church planting, mm. and therefore they would be planting churches nearer them. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, we've managed to fill all the provincial capitals with churches that way by now. Mm-hmm. Then we, we, we had, Zambia has like two major roads. One goes east to west. The other one goes from Livingston, Victoria Falls, all the way to the north. And what we did was, because that's, that's where we have the major cities. Mm-hmm. So we said, let's make sure that each of these will have a good solid church. And again, we've almost filled up all those. So that's uh, worked out. But as to whether we're going to be in the south or in the north next time or we'll be in the east or the west, always depended on who the Lord gives us, Mm -hmm. who is available, who (coughs) is answering God's call. It's that which would then determine where we would be doing the next church planting work. And in that sense, the northern part of the country, the extreme north, we still don't have as many churches mm-hmm. because we didn't have as many individuals being available uh, for that. Yeah. But having said that, we, we also thought to ourselves that let's work towards planting churches in the capital cities of English-speaking African countries. Now, we also want French-speaking and Portuguese-speaking. It's just that we will then have to go through translation things and so on, and we the Lord might surprise us. Mm. But we thought at least English-speaking African countries, you know, it's, it's just these boundaries that we have around us. Mm. And so uh, that's what we have been doing fairly deliberately, mm. that we, we, we're looking for in each of these English-speaking countries, if the Lord sends us, someone through our internship program and we can see that he is an individual that has the gifts and graces to do this work that we can then send the person back to their own country Mm. so they're not really learning the culture there and so that they can establish the lord's work Mm. Um, so there is some amount of strategizing but having said that it's always praying that the Lord will send us the right individuals whom we can then uh, send into this work. Or, as it was the case with my son, raised from within the congregation and then thrust out to go and do church planting. Mm. Yeah, that's very helpful. What, what about the finances of this? What kind of financial commitment do you make to a church plant? Do you agree to be supportive of so many years or certain percentage? Do you have a, you have a, 
a way that you typically operate when you start a church like that? I love the fact that you use the word typically because, yes, we, we have our targets. They, they shift quite a bit, person to person, but we put it down this way. We said to them, we'll support you for the first four years, 100%. And then we will say to your small growing congregation that we'll begin holding back 25% per year. So that by the time we get into the eighth year, or at least the end of the eighth year, we'll be talking in terms of getting to zero. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes the work will still be behind schedule financially because of the numbers, mm-hmm. but ahead of schedule in terms of the quality of leaders, mm-hmm. we still set them apart. Sometimes even before eight years, because why have an eldership under another eldership? They're under Christ. Mm. So we set them apart, but then we say to those leaders, we are willing to come alongside you for as long as you can convince us that you still need our help to support your pastor. Mm. Mm. And so that we've had a few cases like that. In other cases, it is the fact that the, the church itself is now financially able, but it still hasn't got leadership that can move it forward. So there we stop support, sometimes even earlier than eight years, but the work is still under us until um, a, at least there's priority mm-hmm. of eldership there. And then that's when we begin withdrawing. Mm-hmm. So that's the way in which we work it out. However, and, and what I need to add is that by the Lord's grace, we've had churches around the world that come alongside us with support mm-hmm. to these churches. What I wanted to say, and I'm amazed about this, is that almost every church that we plant, and I mean it, when we are beginning, we have no support. Mm-hmm. It's just our own membership. And there, I really commend our deacons and I commend our church treasurers. Because, I mean, it's not like we, we've got a lot of money to throw around. If, at the point we as elders are saying, look, we really need to send out this guy into this area, inevitably, the deacons will say, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and therefore, we take it to the church. And if any questions of finance come up, we're able to say, you know, we, we've consulted with uh, the treasury and mm. uh, um, we think we can go ahead. Yeah. But literally, within three to six months, we get emails coming through saying, hey guys, we'd like to come alongside you uh, to support your work. And I always get back to the deacons and say, according to your faith, <laughs> is it unto you? It's really your faith that's uh, happening here rather than mine. I I just came to you and said, guys, could we go ahead? So that's the way it has has worked out over the years. And uh, the Lord has surprised us. We have an annual missions conference, Mm -hmm. but it will be taking place two weeks after I get back uh, in a a few days. And we, we raise finances there from the membership, in an ongoing way, so members pledge 
monthly giving apart from their tithes and offerings to put directly into missions. And then we also raise, during the missions conference itself, we raise a bulk amount of money that is sent out to help with uh, mm. different needs. Uh, last year's, for instance, was for the new work we were starting in Rwanda. Oh. We ended up starting two churches at the same time. And there were a lot of things we needed to do there to register those churches. They needed to rent buildings and pay so many months ahead of time and so on. So we're able to have all those finances to help with that. Mm. And then this year, the, the finances will be towards the building structures of a number of these daughter churches. Just give them that extra push because mm. the numbers in those congregations are still few and yet we like them to have greater visibility. Yeah, wonderful. Do you know of any place outside of Zambia where this type of effort with the similar type of approach that you have is taking place? you know any other places in the world where uh, you've been involved or seen these things happen like this? Not quite the same way. Um, I know that Kenya is is a close second. We've, we helped a number of churches get established there, and those churches have picked on our model, mm-hmm. and they are doing something like that. Uh, what they lack at this stage is in terms of the numbers. Uh, their churches are still fairly small, so I would say they are where we were about maybe uh, 20 years ago okay. in terms of the, the churches still, the initial churches being established. Mm-hmm. But you can't miss the fact that they have got the concept and they want to run with it. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul Washer, who's been doing missions work across uh, the, the globe right. through Heart Cry Mission Society, has been sending individuals from South America, from Europe, I, I forget where else, Middle East as well, to come and see mm. uh, what's happening in Zambia because he says that he's not seeing that in other right. places around the world and would like to see it right. in other parts of right. the world. So I think I would depend more on his testimony than on my own. Yeah, okay. Well, that's fair. So what counsel would you have for pastor, elders, or, or church members who say, yes, you know, we, we should be in a position of planting churches. We ought to be involved in this. What, what encouragement would you give them to uh, move them forward in this effort? Yeah, I think the first thing that I would say is that I identify with, at least Kabwata Baptist Church identifies with the, the fear and trembling that a lot of people have towards going into the work of planting churches, establishing churches uh, around the city, around the world, uh, around the nation, and so on. Because it is demanding work. It's exacting work. Um, But if we just go forward 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, 100 years, and we have established churches, what we've done is we have set up lampstands all over the place that will continue radiating light long after we ourselves are buried. Mm. And instead of limiting all that light 
to this one place where we are still trying to be faithful, if God uses you to plant or set up 20, 30, 40 lampstands around the city, around the nation, around the world, you have so much more light mm. that is being spread out. And then you can do so much more together than you can do as a single congregation in one place. So it's worth paying that price for spreading the light and seeing the, uh, the salting effect consequently um, spreading out. Mm. Um, yes, there will be some disappointments. There will be a Demas who's going to be part of the group. There will be a John Mark who for some unknown reason abandons you. And so forth. there will be those aspects. There will be, as we saw in the New Testament, beatings, you know, persecution that, that might uh, happen uh, along the way uh, and so forth. But it's God's work. Mm -hmm. uh, Jesus didn't say, um, go into the world if all is well <laughs> yeah, yeah. and there's a conducive atmosphere, um, make disciples of all nations. We can add all kinds of nations, mm. all kinds of groupings. Basically spread the truth everywhere. So, yes, if you are overwhelmed, start with one church plant and notice that you haven't died. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and then that might give you a little more courage uh, to do much more. Yeah, that's wonderful. That's great counsel, brother, and uh, appreciate so much your labors, faithful labors there in Lusaka, Zambia, and around the world, but especially church planting, how you've done that uh, very effectively. In Africa, it's something that we need to learn to do uh, better than what we have done in our own circles here in North America. So thanks for your counsel. I trust that this conversation will be helpful to many pastors like myself, other members of churches that will begin to take an assessment and say, you know what, uh, we can do more than what we've been doing. So brother, appreciate your time. It's always good to see you Thank and you. to have you here with us. Look forward to seeing you again soon. Thank you. Thanks, yes. Tom, for everything. Thanks for joining in and look forward to communicating with you further through the Sword and Trial. Thanks.